Um, but for all of us, we're beginning a new sermon series today called Entrusted. And this series is looking at those things that God has given us that has entrusted us. And I'll introduce it a little bit as we go. But today we'll be in Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Philippians chapter 2, we'll have it on the screen. Uh, but I love for you to see it in front of you, either in your printed Bible or smart device. It's good for you to see the context that we're, we're teaching from today. Um, before I begin, are there any Aggies in the room? Yeah, I thought you might show up. I thought you might cash in some of those prayers that you were throwing up last night. So I'm glad that you were here. That was fun. All right, let's, let's focus. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, we're starting in verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run, I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks again for your presence here with us, and I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of this scripture, your holy word. Where we are empty, would you fill us? Where we are weak, would you strengthen us? Where we are wrong, would you correct us? And would you send us out once more? And God, I pray for myself that you'd speak through me or in spite of me, but may it be your message that's delivered. We love you and trust you. It's in Jesus' name. Let all God's people say, amen. Have you ever been entrusted with something really important? Has something been given to you or an opportunity in which you felt a burden of responsibility that you had to follow through with it? As I was reflecting on that this week, as we begin this series, I was thinking of a time when we, Lauren and I were discerning this call into ministry because it's really a whole family calling. And I was convinced, trying to beg her not to marry a pastor because I just didn't think she wanted to do that. I don't know why you would want to do that. And she felt as called as I did, but we were discerning this call into ministry. And it became aware to us that one thing that we just had to pray into was how to be able to go to seminary because I had messed up some things in my past. That's a whole nother story, but we just couldn't afford to go into school and to be able to do this. And so we began praying over that calling and um, almost out of nowhere and out of the woodworks came a community of people that saw things in me I couldn't see in myself. And they began to offer financial support for our family to go to seminary. It was incredible. Um, and we've been able to go for, I've been in seminary for like eight years now, two different degrees, okay? Uh, but, but we've been on this journey and we've been able to do this completely debt-free by God's grace with scholarships and, and people that help support and fund that. And every day when I wake up, I'm serious, every day when I was at school and in the dorm, I had their names written on my desk and their names are in my office as well. I look at those names and think about what has been entrusted in me as they support and fund this calling and, and stand behind us financially and in prayer. See, if I mailed it in every single day, it wouldn't take that gift away that they have entrusted 
but it's still up to me every single day to decide how I'm going to live into that and allow that calling and that support and those prayers to live out in this calling. I was entrusted with a gift and I'm called to steward over this gift. This series, Entrusted, is all about what has been given to us and how we steward over that in the world. Just the mention of stewardship has some of y'all a little bit anxious and you're looking for the exit, right? Oh man, we came on the week when John Wayne's gonna preach on money. Oh, let's get out of here. No, we're gonna talk about financial gifts, the generosity that God has given us, but stewardship is so much bigger than that. Stewardship is about living into what has been entrusted to us. If you look at the definition for stewardship, it's defined as the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. It begins in an acknowledgement of what has been given to you, to us, what has been entrusted. And we've been entrusted with so much. And over the next several weeks, we are gonna talk about those things. Starting today, what does it mean that we've been entrusted with this faith? this life that's been given to us, how we live into that matters. And we're gonna talk about that today. Next week, we've been entrusted with sharing the gospel and forming a future generation. I'm so excited to talk about what student ministry, what children's ministry, what Marvin is doing committed to those folks and, and our responsibility to love and to shepherd our kids and our kids and our community. The next week, we'll talk about God's generosity and how we steward over that generosity. And then finally, we'll talk about stewarding over the gospel in the world. Do we believe that we carry the good news of Jesus Christ to the world who desperately needs it? And so we're running at some things hard in the coming year at Marvin. And so over the next several weeks, we're gonna introduce some of those things that through discernment, through your leadership, we feel like God has led us to focus on these things. And I wanna give you five of them. First, we believe that we are called to impact the next generation by pouring in resources and supporting our children and our student ministry. Next week, we're gonna to get to introduce you to our latest team member that has made our children's ministry whole. We just hired uh, our assistant to Sarah and their, their team is ready to run and go. And student ministry, you might hear stories of 60 kids coming on Sunday night and being a part of that ministry when if you go back a year and a half, it, it was a fraction of that. And so we're gonna to continue to run in that direction. Secondly, we at Marvin feel like we are called called to focus on what it means to grow Christians in faith as people are moved along the Discipleship Pathway programs. If you haven't heard about the Discipleship Pathway yet, you're either new or you've been living under a rock. Because for the last year, this is where we've been organizing our resources, saying that if there really is more in Christ, are we as a church organizing in our, ourselves to help folks in this discipleship journey? So we are gonna focus on what that looks like, offering key classes and key opportunities of discipleship and small group and accountability groups and, and helping us to see what it means to follow Jesus, not to just learn about him, but follow him. Thirdly, we are being called to expand our global impact by taking discipleship training to Tanzania. Over the last several years, we have been a part of raising up a congregation there, supporting missionaries, helping to build a school and open a school. And now we're working to translate curriculum so that uh, discipleship programs can be put into place in Tanzania. We believe we're called to this. 
We're also called to something close right here in front of us, and that's strengthening our partnership with Vida Abundante Methodist Church, which is the Hispanic worshiping community here in Tyler that Marvin helped to start. And you're going to hear news over the next several weeks as we discern what it might look like for them to again worship here with us and for us to be in more of an intimate partnership with them as they seek to make disciples of Jesus Christ in Tyler. And then fifth, we are being called to expand our digital and social media outreach by hiring digital ministries director, a staff member to come on full time and work here at Marvin. This is coming out of COVID because we learned in COVID that we have to think creatively to reach folks, that this is a calling for us to help bring what discipleship opportunities are here and get it into your life, into your home in creative ways, but also to reach people that we might not otherwise reach. Craig Groeschel, pastor of a, a large church, when asked about, are you gonna start investing resources into the local gathering now that folks are not online as much and they're coming back? And Craig's response is, we're gonna put all of our eggs in both baskets. And that's what we wanna do here at Marvin so that we might creatively partner with you in your discipleship journey. And we also might reach the person that may not just happen to walk onto this campus without some other invitation. So over the next four weeks, we're gonna be calling Marvin members to join us in this journey and inviting all visitors, those that are here, inviting you to consider what it would look like for you to, you to partner with us as we run this race that God has put before us in the next year. And first though, before we get to all of that, the call is to the faith that has been entrusted to you. And that is what brings us to Paul and the letter to Philippi and the Philippians. So let's look at this letter a little bit, the letter that we just read a few verses from. If you know anything about Philippians, you know that this letter actually has some general themes. There's not one specific theme that we, we believe the Apostle Paul has written this to the church in Philippi. It's not like Corinthians where he's addressing like five problems and he's writing with specifics to the church in Corinth. Philippians is focused on one important piece and then it has vignettes that kind of develop around that. That important piece is the hymn and the song that is found in Philippians 2 right before what we just read. This hymn that would have been sung in early congregations, this poem is right in the middle of chapter two and everything throughout the letter, including 12 through 16 that we read, develops on those themes. If this is the gospel in this hymn, then how does it shape how we live out our lives in the world? So I want you to see it. Uh, look at starting in verse six who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Talking about Jesus here. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. And then the next verse is our first verse. And it begins with therefore church, when you're reading the English Bible and you see the word, therefore, I want you to circle it, at least in your mind and see that the context matters. And look at what Paul says, therefore, given this, 
this hymn, this poem, this gospel, given this, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the verb, the force, is I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The first thing that Paul does here that I I want you to see in Philippians 2 is he says that faith is what we do with what comes right before this, that hymn, the gospel. Faith begins in a response to what the gospel says about Jesus. So when he lays out everything about Jesus here, and then he says, therefore, work this out. He's saying, I want you to see and think through how your life responds to what we just said about Jesus. This is what faith is. This is our calling is to respond to this. And I don't wanna make assumptions about who was in the room because I grew up in the church and did not know Jesus until I was in my 20s. And even as I was being called into ministry, I asked my family, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a Methodist? What does this mean? And some of them are like, I don't know. And I don't wanna make assumptions because there's still some in my family that wouldn't know how they feel about what we just read about God himself entering into the story and taking on flesh and walking and living the life that we couldn't and dying the death that we deserved and then being raised from the dead three days after dying and ascending and sitting at the right hand of God the Father as King and as Lord. If you shared that with some in my family, family, they might say, okay, maybe. And so I don't want to make assumptions about who's in the room, about who has faith, because faith begins with our response to that truth, not just some intellectual idea about God. Okay, yeah, there's a God up there, but a response to Jesus Christ as Lord, the one who came and walked among us. That's where faith begins right there in that moment. Wesley's helpful here when he describes justifying faith or saving faith as not just being the faith of the apostles. And what he means is before the cross and resurrection, the apostles believed in Jesus but they didn't see the whole story yet. And it wasn't until afterwards that they put their faith in the cross of Christ and put their faith in the resurrection of Christ. And that's when their lives were transformed and turned upside down in the gifting of the Holy Spirit. They went out into the world in ways that they never did before then. And so Wesley would say, you need to have faith greater than the apostles in the gospels. And so I ask you today, friends, do you believe with confidence in the sacrifice of the cross and the life that comes in resurrection? Because I don't care how long you've been in here, there is no shame in responding today. There is no shame in it. As a matter of fact, it's the other way around. There is life there. The life of resurrection is here for you. And so if you're sitting next to someone or someone is in here and they wanna respond to that, come see me afterwards because I want to talk to you about what comes next as you learn and follow Jesus. This is where life is found. I don't wanna make assumptions about who is in the room. The other thing that Wesley says about this is that we need to have more than just an intellectual acknowledgement about Jesus, right? We need to have more than just this. I, I like the idea of this. He says that even the demonic in the gospels knew who Jesus were. 
but we are to have an obedience, a, an abiding, a following after him. So I want us desperately every single week, we're gonna talk about this, to awaken from the margins of faith and to see that there's life in Jesus so that we'll quit Facebook stalking him and actually following him, right? That's our calling here, our response to this very truth. And then he says, therefore, given what you hear here, I want you to work this thing out. I want you to live in this salvation. This is the verb. This is the command of the whole section. And I really think, y'all, we miss this sometimes because I think we've compressed salvation down into a one event. It's already happened, right? We talked about getting saved, like it happened back there. But I'm here to tell you today that salvation is about everything from the moment that God's love began to work in your life, even if you didn't know it was there, all the way to glory. I thank God that he's not done saving me yet, that there's still more to do, that he's still pouring more life into me. And I want you to see that today. So it is our call, according to Paul in Philippians 2, given that Jesus came and he made a way for us and he brought us into the family, he says, now I want you to live in that truth. I want you to walk in it like it's taken hold of you. This is the calling in Philippians 2. The command here is to work it out, which has already been accomplished in Jesus. And these words can get messy. It, it can mean apply that which is done for you. It can mean in flesh, like live into it. Let it become alive in who you are or fulfill that which has been done for you. So when we, when we do a baptism, I will often say in this moment, God's presence is really here. But what is happening is that which happened back there, the cross and the resurrection is now real for the person in baptism. It is now a present reality for the person in baptism. And I want you to hear that today, friends, that we need to live in this reality. So a couple questions about what it means to work out your salvation. What does it mean to work out our salvation and how do we do it? Those are questions you should be asking. Well done, church. This is where the entrusted comes into play. Two things are required that you'll see in the, this verse. One, individual responsibility and corporate application is necessary. Individual responsibility and corporate application. Secondly, diligence and intentionality. When he says fear and trembling, he's trying to get you to focus with all that you have. So let's talk about these. Individual responsibility and corporate application. This verb to work out your salvation, it's actually plural. So in East Texan, it's y'all work out y'all salvation. Am I speaking your language now, right? Y'all work out y'all salvation. Paul is writing to the whole group, to the whole church, to the church. And he collectively says that y'all must work out your salvation. I wanted to title this series, It's Not My Job. You know why? Because in so many ways, we give up responsibility that we're supposed to have over our faith. I'm just gonna go get a sermon. I'm just gonna go listen to a podcast. I'm just gonna go have this. This is where I'm gonna get my faith from the professional Christians. Or we give up responsibility for the future generation. It's not my job. That's why we have a student ministry and a children's ministry. Or we give up our responsibility of God's gener generosity in our life. Someone else has more than I do and they can contribute more than I can where we give up our responsibility to serving the gospel, to living it out. Someone who has the gift of evangelism, they're supposed to go talk to those people. I don't, my, my spiritual inventory said I don't have the gift of hospitality, so I'm just not gonna be hospitable. Nuh-uh, it is our job. It is our calling. 
And y'all, we have given up our responsibility of faith. COVID ex exposed this in ways that I, I never could imagine. As everyone is sent home and quickly the church was not there to feed content and to give everything we had. And y'all, the church was bad in response to that. We just tried to make a whole bunch of content really quick. We're like, we gotta reach them in different ways. And it's because we've created this system that we live in. And I felt this. When I was stuck at home on Sunday, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with myself? And if you felt that while you were at home or while you're watching online, you are feeling this, this tension of leaving others to live out your faith. And here's the thing, church, I cannot follow Jesus for you. I can't. My hope is, is that as I learn of what it means for me to follow Jesus in this calling, we might go together, but I can't do it for you. We have individual responsibility here. So when he says, y'all work out your salvation, he's talking to everyone in the room. You have to show up. You have to be a part, about, a part of this. Christ has died for you, but is that a priority in your life that you might live into that reality? And then it also has corporate application. Here's the thing about that. We have the means of grace in community. Means of grace, Wesley would talk about the ordinary avenues through which the superordinary grace is applied and lived into our lives. So we have means like reading scripture and prayer. We come together to the Lord's table and fasting. We have these communal practices that are not supposed to be done in isolation, but they're supposed to be done in community so that we might work out our salvation in this way. So what does that mean practically? Sometimes I need you to pray because I can't. Sometimes I need to be here in this space and I need to hear you sing because I can't actually believe the words that we're singing. My heart can't catch up to it. I need you here. I need you to remind me that this is not just something we do once a month, but it's a place that Jesus promises to meet us here at this table. I need you to help me see there's things in my life that I've been loving more than God himself. And so we push those away and we walk in this direction. It's got corporate application. We need each other. Church, does anybody in the room actually know you? Like really know you? Know your struggles, know your fears, or your insecurities. To work out our salvation, we have to do it together. That's the way that God's promised for his spirit to dwell among us if we did it together, like stones being built into a temple so that his spirit might live there. Individual responsibility, corporate application. Secondly, he says, I want you to do it with fear and trembling. This is a call for diligence and to be intentional about what has happened for us. Paul says, to work out your salvation, you must do it with fear and trembling. Why? That's a weird thing, if we're honest. Why, why should we be fearful? Why should we be trembling if God has brought us in? And this is good news, John Wayne. Why should I be afraid of it? I was discipling a young man for a while, and he, he hated these parts where it said that, that we were to have a holy, uh, reverent fear of God. He's like, why are we supposed to be afraid of God if he's loving, if he loves us, if he gives us his grace? And Here's the illustration, the best I can think of. Growing up, I was afraid of my dad, like really afraid of him. Not because he wore out my hind, 
not because I, he was abusive in any way. He tried to get me one time, but I just remember running around the coffee table until he gave up and then I snuck out the back door. But I was afraid of my dad and it wasn't because of anything that you think of with fear. I was afraid of him because he loved me so completely that I, I wanted to be who he raised me to be. I wanted to, to experience that love. And I, sometimes I was, I was worried that I was doing things to get in the way. It's a healthy fear. It was a respect. It was an awe. And this is what we're called to be. This is how our posture is to be to God. If we believe that even in spite of us and how we choose ourselves over and over and over again, he still came and loved us enough to give up himself so that we might know God if we believe that it should invoke respect and awe of who he is. And yet some of us, we've just become, I don't know, we've become so cultured with this message that it doesn't even land on us anymore. It should again bring us to our knees as it is proclaimed and sung here in this room. When you hear what Christ has done, when you live into what God has done and is doing in you, it should bring respect and awe. And finally, I want you to see the radical message that happens in Philippians 2. Here's the radical promise that we find in this chapter that comes with working out your salvation. It's not simply a, you need to do better. That's not what he's saying. It's not like you need to fill your calendar with more church activity because that's what you're supposed to do. And if you're hearing that from me today, I, I, that's not what I'm trying to say. Look at the good news that comes right after this. Look at 12 and 13 again. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do you see the radical two-way street that Paul has developed here? Because Christ has done this for you, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation because it is actually Christ who is working in you. I need you to hear that today, church. When you show up, he is faithful. When you lean in, even on the days that you can't, he is at work in you because of what Christ has done for you. Work out your salvation, work it out because Christ is at work in you. This is about believing in a new birth and new life. When you give your yes to God, when you follow him, there are two changes that take place, a relative change and a real change. All right, if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. A relative change and a real change. A relative change means I was an orphan and now I'm found. I'm in the family. I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead in sin. Dead people can't come back to life on their own again. And now I'm alive in Christ. There was a relative distance that now is no more. I am forgiven in God's sight. God does not look at me over a pile of my garbage anymore. He looks at me and sees the perfect life of Jesus Christ. It is complete love in spite of me, in spite of the things that I've chosen. That is what we need to see first. In relation to God, your position is now changed. And honestly, I think we get that. Some of us maybe need to lean into that a little bit because we don't know what it's like to be loved. And that's happened to us in different ways. But the real change is something I think we miss. There is a real change in us, not just a relative, but a real one. The spirit of God brings new life in you. 
The old is gone and the new is here. And y'all, I think we are functional atheists when it comes to this because we like this idea that Jesus has forgiven me, but it's weird or it's hard for us to get our minds around the fact that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is also raising you to life even now. And so we walk around with just this like kind of loose feeling of what it means to have the spirit of God in us. We don't go to places Jesus would go to because we don't believe the spirit is actually in us. We don't believe that we can walk away from that sin because we don't believe that his spirit has not just come to give forgiveness, but to bring freedom and wholeness to who we are. There is a real change. What was old is no longer. Now we walk in a new life. Friends, if we become a community of people that walk in this life, the gates of hell will not prevail. Community is changed. Tyler is changed. A relative and a real change. Now let me close with this idea. You're gonna hear all kinds of stuff in the coming weeks about what I think God's doing. I just wanna focus on the discipleship pathway for right now. I want to see a ton of people on Wednesday night coming to studies. I want to see this room filled, right? And y'all, over the coming months, years together, we're going to keep doing stuff like Easter in the park and hopefully reaching 800 people. And we're going to train hospitality and we're going to try to be good hosts to visitors. And we're going to open these doors as wide as possible to reach as many as possible. But every time we're here, we're going to remind ourselves of the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come, that he's set us free from the power of sin, that we can walk in life. And we're going to keep that bar right there. We're gonna lean into it every single week. And so we, as a group of people, of individuals, we've gotta respond. We've gotta live into this life that's been given for us. That's what Paul is telling the Philippians. It has been accomplished. Will you walk in it? Sin has been canceled. Will you walk into freedom? Love has come for you. Will you let it take hold of you? So here's the calling for us, church. I wonder if we will let that which has taken hold of us live out its fullness in our heart. And Paul says, I'm trying to take hold of that which has taken hold of me. In other words, you've been entrusted with life. Will you live it? Will you walk in it? We've been entrusted with a lot. The first place to start though is the good news of Jesus Christ that brings forgiveness and freedom and hope into the world. And that changes everything for us. May it be so in your life and mine. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let all God's people say, amen.